welcome to Coward's Fury. I'm Chris. I had really wanted Charles to do this one with me, but we just could not get our schedules to work together this week. So I'm on my own for a full episode. And maybe I'll even make this a bonus episode because this one's kind of special. Recently, we experienced the sudden and unexpected loss of Pod Dog One, also known as Coco. So I wanted to do an episode in her honor where a dog played a role in catching some scoundrel that did something terrible. So I'd like to dedicate this episode to our sweet Coco, who used to lay by our feet while we messed around with pretending to be podcasters. She put up with us laughing, fighting, because we did, we do, and just generally being weird. And she was always quick to hop up for a pet, and her tail would make an almost never-ceasing thump, thump against the floor, reminding us of how happy she was just to be around us. So to all of you dog parents, give your furry friend a little extra snuggle as a doggy cheers to Coco. And as we tell you this harrowing and somewhat exhausting tale. All right, let's dive right in. Today we're going to discuss the case of Kelsey Barrett. Kelsey was born September 15, 1989 in Colorado to Cheryl Barrett. Kelsey also had a brother named Clint. Kelsey was raised in the Moses Lake area. She loved farming and the farm lifestyle. She babysat and was seen as a trusting, caring person. She attended a small school and all the kids were very close. Like the girls would have sleepovers, they would do each other's hair, they would do their makeup, all really super wholesome stuff. I'm sure they fawned over, you know, boys and movie stars, all the things. Kelsey also liked to babysit and she had a very close connection and relationship with her faith. By all means, a pretty idyllic lifestyle for a growing girl. And as Kelsey grew up, she always wanted a family of her own, as well as a fulfilling career. She wanted everything. And for her career, she wanted to focus on aviation. Good honor. Kelsey attended flight school in Washington and became a pilot, therefore very early on realizing her dreams. During her early career, she decided to begin looking for someone special to share it all with. Enter Patrick Frazee. Frazee was born November 1st, 1988. He was handsome and confident, and Kelsey was immediately smitten. There are a couple of varying accounts of how the two met, but most sources say that they met online through a dating app, so that's what I'm going to go with. Regardless of how they met, Kelsey ultimately decided to move to Colorado to be closer to her new man, because why not? They wouldn't live together. Kelsey was still kind of an independent woman. After meeting Frazee and starting a relationship with him, Kelsey became pregnant. She was actually ecstatic about the pregnancy, and there's a super cute picture of her and her pregnant belly, and uh, I'll try to find it and post it on our Instagram. It isn't clear how Frazee felt about the pregnancy, but later on, a friend of Frazee's, uh, Joseph Paul Moore, would say that Patrick claimed he never even knew about the pregnancy until Kelsey went into labor, and then like, boom, baby. From that point forward, he would generally only ever refer to Kelsey as Kaylee's mom or his baby's mother. So they named their child Kaylee. He rarely spoke Kelsey's name. It was sort of awkward and weird, to say the least. And um, Moore, his friend, became a bit suspicious of Frazee when Frazee started talking about killing someone. That's real casual. He would make statements like, if there's no body, there's no crime. That's not a real good look there, Frazee. Others would describe Frazee as controlling and difficult. It would be said that Kelsey could seldom win an argument with Frazee or really tell him no to anything. I mean, like she moved away from her family and she moved all the way to Colorado to be closer to him and ultimately to facilitate him seeing his child. At some point, they became engaged, although I'm not very clear about that. I couldn't find a ton of information online about their engagement. 
and Kelsey and Freezy would never end up living together under the same roof. Kelsey could sometimes be seen when not giving flight instruction classes because that was her job, helping Freezy out with cattle on his family's ranch. Freezy's parents owned a ranch in the Cripple Creek, Colorado area, and Freezy lived with them there. If Kelsey had problems with the cattle, Freezy could be seen getting very angry with her and kind of berating her, and her problems at the family ranch didn't stop there. Freezy's mother hated Kelsey. She would call her all kinds of names, like she would call her a prostitute, a whore, among other terrible names. She just made no secret of her hatred of Kelsey. And regardless of how Kelsey attempted to appease the older woman, it just didn't seem to matter. And Freezy did not offer up any explanation to Kelsey for his mother's wrath. He just kind of like let the situation be. That's a big red flag. Not a, not good. And that wasn't the only strain in the Freezy household. Patrick and his sister Erin were bickering over their father's estate, which only deepened tensions. They did have one other brother, Sean. Sean Freezy had cho- chosen sort of a different path than those of his siblings. He was actually a police officer in Colorado Springs. He had a wife, children, the whole beautiful life. He did not want to bicker over such things like money and estate and all that stuff. And even though Sean and his siblings had some differences, Sean was excited and really wanted to see his family and his new niece, Kaylee, for the holidays in 2018. So he was excited when he and his family arrived at the Frazee home for Thanksgiving that year. He was excited, but not actually very surprised when Patrick, typical Patrick, didn't really seem to value the same things as like family togetherness or common courtesy even, and didn't bother to show up or call until well after he was supposed to, which really postponed dinner for everyone. In fact, they started eating without him altogether. So I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here because to further explain the rest of this case, we have to hop into the time machine and travel back more than a decade. So come on a little short journey with me. Back in 2006, Frazee met a woman named Crystal Lee. This was way before he would meet Kelsey. Crystal actually already had a life with a husband and two children, but from the moment that she laid eyes on Frazee, she was in love. Their relationship, as one might imagine, when dating a married person, had its, up, had its ups and downs, but I think it would be safe to say their relationship had a sense of toxicity to it. You see, this would be important later on, but Crystal just couldn't say no to Patrick Frazee. Crystal would become pregnant with Frazee's baby at one point, putting them in a bit of a pickle. After telling him about the pregnancy, Frazee became angry and demanded that Crystal get an abortion, which she did. She complied. During this time, their relationship became a bit spottier and kind of a little more on again, off again. They then lost touch for a while with Frazee eventually telling Crystal that if she left her husband, they might be be able to be together. After some time, Crystal actually did get a divorce, but by the time that happened, Crystal and Frazee had lost contact, and Frazee had moved on. So, zoop, 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 back to the contemporary timeline for this case. Not long before the events that I'm about to describe, Frazee contacted Crystal. He told her of his new relationship with Kelsey and about their daughter together and how they were engaged to be married. All the things Frazee wouldn't do and hadn't done for Crystal. But Crystal, as you'll recall couldn't say no to Frazee. He wanted to restart their relationship and they seemed to pick back up where they left off from, you know, before, but with one big difference. Baby Kaylee was now in the picture. And as it would be discovered, Frazee wanted that picture to go from four, Patrick, Kelsey, Kaylee, and Crystal, as if that wasn't awkward enough as to begin with, to two, Patrick and Kaylee, perhaps with a little sprinkle of Crystal in when he felt like it. 
Patrick would attempt to weave a tale that Kelsey was abusing their child and had a drinking problem, but anyone who knew Kelsey would just blow Frazee off knowing that that couldn't be the case. Kelsey adored her child and loved her job as a flight instructor. She would not do anything to jeopardize that. She strongly felt that despite some of the issues that she and Frazee had, that they were going to build a wonderful life together, the three of them. She had even been excited to let her boss at DOS Aviation know that Frazee was planning to join her at the company holiday party. So in her mind, things were headed in the right direction. She had a great job, a beautiful little daughter, and a man who she believed loved her. Even if he could be a little bit demanding, maybe a little self-centered, he loved her. And for her, that was what mattered. But I'll tell you, sometimes love just isn't enough. And sometimes love isn't really love. So remember how I told you how excited Frazee's brother, Sean, was to see the family for Thanksgiving? Well, Patrick had other plans. The family would eat without him. He had more, let's say, interesting things to do. For this Thanksgiving would be one that no one would forget. No one except perhaps Kelsey. Close your eyes, Patrick would say to Kelsey, as he wrapped a sweater around Kelsey's head to cover her eyes. He told her he had some scented candles and wanted her to guess each scent. What a fun and romantic game was possibly what Kelsey was thinking. She had no reason to think anything else, so she complied. She smelled something sweet under her nose, and she liked it. Then there was a pause, maybe a little longer than she expected. She heard Patrick take a deep breath. Then the next thing that she felt was pain, shock and pain. She felt wetness on her face, and her ears began filling with what she slowly realized was blood. Had Patrick hit her? She began to fall forward from the searing pain, and the baseball bat came swinging for another blow. Kelsey tried to crawl away. That was the only thing she could think of. And the sweater that had been wrapped around her, which was now completely soaked in blood, fell from her face. All she could do was to say, please stop, please, before the final blow came and Kelsey succumbed to Patrick's brutality. But now what? I mean, Patrick Frazee can't be expected to clean up something like that. I mean, he had to grab Kaylee from her play area, who was in the other room, you know, and get her out of there. The menial task of cleaning up blood and urine, that's for someone else, you know, to do, but not, not him. But thankfully, he knew someone who could. Crystal could do the job. I mean, after all, she was a nurse, so she was used to dealing with bodily fluids, and she wanted Kelsey gone as much as he did, so that's a perfect fit. I mean, he'd even ask Crystal to do the deed herself, if only she hadn't been too chicken shit to pull it off. She tried once or twice at his request, but she couldn't muster the moxie to get it done, not like Frazee. So, you know, if she couldn't manage to do the murder, well, she could at least pull her weight by cleaning up the mess. So Frazee called Crystal and said something to the effect of, there's a real mess at Kelsey's and you need to clean it up. And hey, look for a tooth that might have fallen down an air vent. And because Crystal couldn't say no to Patrick Frazee, she prepped herself and got down to business at Kelsey's condo. Crystal, you could say, was a real ride or die. And Crystal did as she was told. She came, she had booties for her feet, she had her hair pulled back in in a, a, you know, bonnet thing. She had a white, like, jumpsuit scrub type thing on she scrubbed and cleaned and even found the tooth with the root still attached it was knocked clean out of kelsey's head but as she was cleaning she claims that some modicum of morality did start to peek through she began to leave a few spots of blood behind in the bathroom she thought that if she left some blood behind that someone would spot it and get suspicious but 
More likely than some sudden small amount of morality or remorse, it was more likely that now Crystal knew what Frizzy was capable of. She likely worried that he could do the same thing to her, and that if no one knew the truth about what he'd done to Kelsey, no one would ever know if it happened to her. So perhaps it was more of a, a sense of self-preservation, more likely than a sense of morality or, or ethics or anything else or remorse. That's probably the culprit of her desire to leave blood evidence behind. Well, and here's a thought. How about just don't go clean up for that idiot? Go to the police. For once, just say no. But that's not what happened. By December 1st of the same year, 2018, Kelsey's mom, Cheryl, and her brother, Clint, had gotten concerned enough about Kelsey's lack of communication that they decided to have a look for themselves because she was in constant communication with them. So for her to go that many days without contacting them, especially around the holidays, was ludicrous. Not only were they reaching out to her numerous times, but Clint, her brother, he had even sent a Christmas tree and have it, had it delivered to Kelsey's condo but Kelsey didn't even so much as like text a thank you which was totally not like her so Clint flew to Cheryl's home so from Tacoma Washington to northern Idaho and the two then traveled together to Woodland Park Colorado to pay Kelsey a visit Woodland Park Colorado was in Kelsey's mind a perfect place to raise a child it's also known as the city above the clouds because it's about 8,000 feet above sea level with a population at the time of between seven and eight thousand it has a wonderful small town feel just outside of Colorado Springs. It was just the kind of place Kelsey felt she could provide her daughter with the very best of everything. She had a cute little condo perfect for herself and Kaylee with nice neighbors and not too far from the things that she liked to do. Except for the fact that she and Frazee didn't live together yet, it was really an ideal situation. And she knew that that day would come, that they would really and truly be together. She believed it. When Cheryl and Clint arrived in Woodland Park, they approached Kelsey's condo. They had a spare key and they let themselves in. The first thing that they noticed that the heat was turned up a bit, which would not be like Kelsey because she would have turned it down if she were going to leave for any period of time. They also noticed that there were cinnamon rolls that had been left out that were like hard as a rock as though they'd been out for a few days. They also saw a dirty broom lying across Kelsey's bed and piles of dirty laundry in the laundry room. None of that aligned with Kelsey's typical behavior. So it just felt wrong. Further, all the trash cans were full, and the pair noticed streaks from, like, cleaning solution on the floor and on the fridge and really, like, even on the couch all over the place. It just didn't make a lot of sense. The mother and son decided to stay the night and continue to reach out to Kelsey and then try to make a decision in the morning about what to do. But the night brought no answers. Cheryl knew she had to call Frazee, even though she didn't want to. She just had a bad feeling. When she got a hold of him, he told Cheryl after a very long sort of uncomfortable pause, we're not together anymore. I don't think she'd even want to speak to me. So they awkwardly talked a bit further with Cheryl basically begging Frazee to agree to try to reach out to Kelsey and tell her to reach out to her family. And what was Frazee's response? Well, all right, but I have to take care of my cows first. Cheryl was incensed and there was a growing feeling of dread in the pit of her stomach. Something was very wrong. Then Clint came out of the bathroom. His face was as white as a sheet. He found something in the bathroom, and he couldn't even speak it. He had to take his mother in there to show her. What he found on the base of the toilet was what they thought was blood. It was time to contact the police. Corporal Dina Curran took on the case of the missing person, Kelsey Barrett. The corporal questioned Frazee, who told her 
a similar story to that that he told to Cheryl, that he and Kelsey had broken things off and that he hadn't, hadn't seen her since Thanksgiving Day. Curran also questioned Kelsey's place of work. Ray Sebring was Kelsey's boss at DOS Aviation. He told police that he'd gotten a text from Kelsey's phone saying, quote, Hi, Ray, comma, sorry for the late notice, but I won't be able to make it in this week. I need to go see my grandma who is sick, dot, dot, dot. Even this little thing kind of set off an alarm bell. See, according to Ray, Kelsey never used a comma after his name when she texted him. She only used an exclamation point, and she really loved her emojis. Every text she sent had some kind of an emoji in it, but this text didn't have anything. So even though it didn't really like set a huge alarm off at the time, um, given the circumstances, Ray was now actually really worried for Kelsey. Cheryl told police that things weren't adding up for her. She mentioned that Frazee told her that he and Kelsey had broken up and planned to share custody of Kaylee. But she'd never mentioned any of that to Cheryl or Clint, and she absolutely would have. They were all really close, and Kelsey always told her mom about what was going on in her life, good or bad. It just wasn't like her to keep information like that to herself. With this and with Cheryl's consent, Kelsey was now officially listed as a missing person 10 days after she was last really heard from from her mom. Police could now step up some efforts to find Kelsey as far as investigative tools. There were two vehicles parked in Kelsey's driveway, a 2006 Toyota Corolla and a red Chevy Silverado. See, here's where I miss Charles because he's such a car guy. He would absolutely have a comment to make about those two cars. Anyway, both vehicles were registered to Cheryl, but used by Kelsey. Police questioned Cheryl about Kelsey's mental state or anything that might cause Kelsey to want to, like, get away. Cheryl insisted that Kelsey was happy, well-adjusted, and excited for the upcoming holidays. Police also questioned if Kelsey was texting her mother after November 22nd, which was Thanksgiving Day, as there were some texts that had been received. Cheryl told police that she did not believe those texts were actually from Kelsey, as they didn't match her style of communication at all. They just sort of sounded wrong in her head when she would read them, as though they had been written by someone else. Investigators would also need to get into Kelsey's condo. In the condo, they found an iPad and a laptop and receipts from Safeway and Walmart dated Thanksgiving Day, 1122. So this would actually help them to establish her movements on the day in question. Authorities would also employ the help of a canine team, Brian Eberly and his bloodhound Lucy. Lucy is a specially trained bloodhound trained to signal upon detection of human decomposition. I won't go into the science of how dogs can distinguish human remains from other types of remains like animals, but they can and they do. And yes, I did look it up because it's fascinating. If you have time, I suggest you Google it. They can smell very small dissipated amounts of human remains like blood or teeth or tissue, any of that. And Lucy does just that. Lucy was brought to search the outside of the vehicles first. She found nothing with the Chevy, but a clear hit on the driver's side back corner of the Corolla. That meant some type of human decomposition had left its scent there. Investigators searched the vehicle and found a bloody sock on the front passenger seat, but nothing else. Lucy was then taken inside the condo. Lucy indicated in the bathroom next to a pair of underwear on the floor. Although nothing concrete would be taken from this, police would later find out why Lucy indicated where she did. Police also contacted Kelsey's cell phone carrier to get information about the phone's whereabouts during the time in question. They discovered that Kelsey's phone had activity on November 25th, three days after she went missing. But that location where it was used was in Gooding, several hundred miles from Kelsey's home, which didn't make a ton of sense. Later that same evening, about two hours later, 
Kelsey's phone sent Frazee's phone a message. A phone call to the Gooding police prompted them to go out to the area where Kelsey's phone had pinged, but it was a really challenging place. There's a gorge there and some very difficult terrain. It would have been a really weird and awkward place for Kelsey to just like stop in the middle of nothing in a very difficult place to get to, make a call, hang out for another couple of hours, and then send a text, and then just disappear. Naturally, police wanted to look at Frazee's phone. Police did request Frazee's phone, and they did this actually in front of his police officer brother, and his brother said, bro, give him your phone, and he did. So while the police had Frazee's phone, his behavior kind of became very strange and odd. He walked into a bank, and he had a confrontation with one of the employees where he demanded video so that he could prove that he'd been at the bank on 1122. Then, Frazee also stopped into a store, the, one of the stores from his cell phone carrier, and demanded to know if he could remotely change the pin on his phone to prevent anyone from getting into it. And the uh, store attendant explained, like, you can't do it that way, you need the phone itself. So then he asked if a phone got smashed badly enough or destroyed badly enough, could they, could they not get any information off of it? He wasn't making a whole lot of sense. He was not making himself look too good. And in fact, the attendant at the store got so nervous about him that he basically disappeared into the back and didn't come back to answer Frazee's question. In the meantime, crime scene investigator Tanya Atkinson began her work in Kelsey's condo. She focused her efforts on the bathroom where Cheryl and Clint said they'd seen blood and Lucy the blood hound had indicated. Atkinson used a phenolphthalein test first. So this is the test that you've likely seen on TV that turns pink in the presence of blood. So if it's relatively fresh blood, it'll turn pink. If it's older blood, it'll turn more of a, a rusty red color. Investigators will often do this test first just to see if what they're looking at is actually blood, because if it isn't, they don't need to do any additional, more expensive tests. If it is, which in this case it was, they know to perform further tests. Atkinson then performed a chemiluminescence test, which can show you where places of blood maybe had been cleaned up that you couldn't see with the naked eye without the test. So that is the one where they make the blood luminous. Well, that bathroom was covered in blood not just on the toilet base where Clint had spotted it. It was on the side of the bathtub, the towel rack. It was even on the ceiling, the medicine cabinet, the hinges. It was literally everywhere. And as strange as this was, it was enough for the police to now consider Kelsey Barrett as a possible homicide. Blood evidence, texts, and cell phone locations weren't the last of the forensic technology police would use. Police also called in a company called Celebrate Technologies, to help them with some analysis and to gather photo evidence together. You see, Kelsey's neighbor, Leslie, was a little bit on the nervous side. She had a camera system installed that was activated by movement. Since the camera system was set up in a way that it kind of captured some of Kelsey's outside areas, Leslie had previously checked with Kelsey to make sure that Kelsey was okay with what was being captured. Kelsey was like, great, yes, now I feel safer too. Good neighbors. Kelsey would actually never know how good Leslie's nervousness was. So this company used aerial footage, footage captured from Leslie's security system, cell phone data to piece together basically an understandable timeline and story. Police could now prove that Frazee was in and out of Kelsey's condo November 22nd, 23rd, 24th, which is in opposition to what Frazee had originally told them. So now at least they caught him in one lie. In addition to all the high-tech stuff, investigators used some good old-fashioned investigating as well. Camera footage from a furniture store along the highway 
was poured over in search of something that could substantiate Frazee's movements and kind of link them together with those higher tech storylines that they had put together. And guess what? Bingo! His truck was spotted going back and forth from Kelsey's condo area. Investigators could see that Frazee had a dog crate and a black tote in the back of the pickup. They knew Kelsey had been at the Safeway in the early afternoon of the 22nd when they saw Frazee head towards her condo, only to return shortly thereafter because she wasn't there. But during the time when they knew Kelsey had been home, which they'd been able to see from the neighbor's camera system, they saw Frazee's pickup head back in her direction. And then, returning back away from her condo about three hours later, the black tote was still in the truck, but it was moved to a different position as though it had been taken out and put back in a different place. Definitely circumstantial, but circumstantial evidence is still evidence. Then the DNA profile came back from Kelsey's bathroom. The DNA was, in fact, hers. Now, this didn't actually prove anything other than Kelsey was definitely bleeding, likely a lot, and the possibility that they were now investigating a homicide became a lot more realistic. It was time to search Frazee's home, the home he shared with his mother, Sheila. This property was a 35-acre ranch and had a single-family home on it. There were also several outbuildings and several vehicles. The police would be searching for anything that had been listed as missing from Kelsey's condo. For example, there had been a bath mat that had been removed, so they could look for something like that. They could look for any clothing or jewelry of Kelsey's. And they were actually looking for another very specific item, the Wizard of Oz. Could have been a DVD, a VHS, a DVR, whichever. Now, why would they be looking for the movie, The Wizard of Oz? Well, because Sheila, whom we've heard is just this sweet, caring mother and soon-to-be mother-in-law, she created a Facebook posting that had a picture of Dorothy and the Goodwitch from the movie, like from what would have been on the movie case, with a caption in all caps that read, Yay, the witch is dead. And she posted that on November 22nd, 2018 on Facebook the day Kelsey went missing. Yep. Good job, Sheila. On December 14th, 2018, a whole bunch of vehicles showed up at the Frazee residence. Frazee and Kaylee would be driven off site so that they would be away from the site as the site was being searched. Bags of evidence would be collected. One item that was found was a handwritten list of like a timeline and sort of to-dos. It wasn't really a smoking gun, but certainly added to the list of circumstantial evidence already collected. They also collected an envelope containing four teeth in it, and another tooth was found by a large burn pile. Now, unfortunately, the tooth found by the large burn pile uh, was not able to have uh, DNA extracted out of it. But yikes, I mean, seriously? They also found a list that had been compiled by Frazee that had five people listed on it who were authorized to request medical care for Kaylee. There was one name conspicuously omitted, Kelsey's. Now, why would that be? Police also brought along more specially trained dogs and handlers on this trip. The dogs wouldn't turn up anything relative to human remains on this day, though, but there would be another chance, and the search warrant would take four days to fully execute. That's a long time. During the time Frazee's home was being searched, a third party would be brought to the table, Crystal Lee Kenny. See, they had Frazee's phone. They knew he had another love interest in his life based on his calls and such. They wanted to question Crystal Lee. At first, Crystal would deny everything, including ever even knowing who Kelsey was at all. She claimed she hadn't heard of her until she saw her all over the news. She lied and lied and lied. And she did it all for Frazee. 
Of course, they had had it all worked out. What they just didn't understand was how well law enforcement could actually do their jobs and how well the FBI, who was now involved since there was indication of state lines being crossed, could interrogate and break you down. They also didn't understand the prisoner's dilemma. So for reference, and because I'm a complete nerd who can't let things go even when I probably should, I'll give you the quick down and dirty on what the prisoner's dilemma is. It's essentially a paradox of decision-making. It asserts that if two suspects stay steadfastly silent, they will both receive the minimum or no punishment for an act that they've committed. If suspect A betrays suspect B, however, suspect A will receive either nothing or a minimal punishment, and suspect B receives the full punishment. The reciprocal would also be true. But if both suspects betray each other, they would share a more moderate amount of punishment. The problem is, without being able to communicate with each other first, how would you know what your fellow suspect is doing? If you betray first, you get the benefit. Cooperative commitment fails at this point, and you will do what you what will benefit you most. And certainly, the, vice, the, the opposite is true, right? Or could be true. You'd have to assume that it would be true that if you're willing to spill the beans, so is your partner in crime. And that, finally, is exactly what Crystal did. So after some time, Crystal lawyered up and reached out. On December 20th, not quite two months after Kelsey disappeared, Crystal was ready to talk. Crystal told police that after she and Frazee had gotten back together, he told her he wanted Kelsey dead. He'd even asked her to do it three different times. Kelsey actually even considered it. Once she thought of poisoning her by buying her a cup of her favorite Starbucks coffee, Kelsey was like a Starbucks nut, she was all about the caramel macchiato, and she would add in poison, leave it at her front door, ring the doorbell to get her attention, and then Kelsey would drink the coffee and die. So Crystal actually did do this, but she didn't put any poison in it. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody rings my doorbell and leaves me a cup of coffee on my doorstep, I don't care if it's my favorite, favorite, favorite thing in the world. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. I'm going to get a piece of plastic. I'm going to dump it outside and throw the thing away. No, thank you. On another occasion, Frazy had given Crystal a metal pipe and told her to use that. That's brutal. But Crystal couldn't do it. So when she was returning the pipe to Frazee on this third time, he gave her a bat and told her to, quote, get swinging. Crystal drove to Kelsey's condo. She sat outside, like on the curb, just wondering how she'd gotten herself into such a mess. I can tell you how you got yourself into such a mess. You need to learn to say the word no. But Crystal still couldn't do it. She said when she went back to Frazee and told him she couldn't do it, that he was absolutely livid. Then, not long thereafter, seemingly out of the blue, Frazee called Crystal and told her she needed to clean up a mess in Kelsey's apartment. She didn't really ask him, but she knew what it meant. She pulled herself together and headed over to the woman's condo. What she found was startling. She told the police everything she'd seen. The blood, the tooth, the bloody pillows, blood on Kaylee's toys. She told them how she'd scrubbed everything and then took the bloodied items out of the condo in plastic bags. So remember the bloodhound Lucy who hit on the corner of the Corolla that indicated human remains? Turns out she was right. Crystal had bumped into the vehicle, leaving trace amounts of human blood, um, and therefore the scent, on the corner 10 days before the dog actually hit on it. Good old Lucy was right again. Gotta love those pups. 
Then Crystal insisted that she'd left them clues by not fully cleaning up the blood in the bathroom, and that she'd also left some on the fireplace stone front. She said she began to feel some kind of way, and that if she left some small amounts of evidence, it would be found and Frazee would be caught. Okay, here's a thought for you, Crystal. You know you're screwed either way, so if all of a sudden you've got this bout of morality or remorse, just stop what you're doing and go get the police. You're going to be fine. Either way, she covered up for Frazee's crime. But that would not be the last thing he asked her to help him with. <laughs> yes, just like a lot of these dimwits, he just keeps on asking. And she keeps on giving. The next day, December 21st, Crystal would show investigators what she had already explained to them and how they had disposed of Kelsey Barrett's body. There's a video that was leaked of Crystal showing investigators around Kelsey's condo, explaining it to them. Very matter-of-fact-like what the scene looked like when she got there. It's very graphic and, you know, in its descriptions. And I guess I would ask of you for the sake of the family just to leave it alone. After the video began, I chose not to watch the rest of it. It just felt disrespectful. On a cold morning, Crystal and investigators stood at the Frazee Ranch. She told them how Frazee had driven his truck to the burn pile area. They hauled the black tote out of Frazee's truck. They took all the plastic bags and bloodied items out of Crystal's car and they lit everything ablaze, including Kelsey inside the plastic tote. They burned it all. Frazee also told Crystal that he'd stashed the body on a pile of hay at the Nash Ranch where he had leased grazing rights. Right in the barn, where if anyone had actually looked up and looked around, they could have seen the body. But he said he was confident. Since he had the only grazing rights, no one was going to go there. No one was going to look up at the top of the barn. She explained to them that once they'd set the fire, they took some corrugated metal sheets to put over the fire sort of in an A shape so as to keep the flames from burning too high and garnering attention, but also to keep that oxygen really flowing really fast to feed the fire and keep it hot enough to incinerate a human body. And with that, Frazee would be arrested. Kaylee's care would be entrusted to Kelsey's family. A year would go by before Frazee's trial would begin. During that time, investigators continued to work to prove that Kelsey had in fact been murdered. They still had no body and not enough physical evidence to prove that she hadn't survived. They thought perhaps they could find additional evidence at the Nash Ranch, the ranch where Frazee had leased grazing rights and where Crystal said Frazee had stored Kelsey's body for a couple of days before they cremated her. Mike Hurst was a canine police officer with one of the best, if not the best, bloodhounds in the cadaver dog business, Radar. Hurst had taken Radar to the Nash Ranch, to the barn where Crystal said Frazee had kept Kelsey's remains. The dog walked and hunted around and at first didn't indicate anything. But then the dog took notice of the second floor of the barn where the hay bales were kept. He got really excited. He ended up clawing and climbing up 12 feet of hay bales and stopped where he indicated human decomposition. Hurst saw an indentation in the bale with brownish-reddish spots that were not consistent with the color of hay. This was certainly where Kelsey lay before her final destination back at the Frazee Ranch. On November 1, 2019, Frazee's trial would seat their jurors. The prosecution would lay out its case. The defense would call into question the prosecution's timeline, calling it bogus. What they didn't count on, because, you know, there's always more to give with these asshats, is what would come to light six days into Frazee's trial. While in jail, Frazee had made contact with another inmate, Jacob Bentley, and began writing him notes. He would use paper towels or scraps of paper or whatever he could find. He would pass Bentley the notes that he had written because Bentley supposedly had some solid gang ties. 
So he thought that maybe Bentley could help him kill people. And basically, he listed out all of the people that he wanted Bentley to have killed. He listed Crystal, Crystal's friend, the lead investigator, and others that he deemed detrimental to his acquittal. He begged Bentley, who with his gang ties, to help him. And then when he was finished with the deed to contact his mother, and he actually put his mother's cell phone number in the note. And he said when they were all dead that he should tell her, quote, all the horses are taken care of. All the notes instructed Bentley to flush them when he was done reading them. But Bentley wanted nothing to do with the likes of Frazee. Certainly in a bid to get some time off for cooperation or like a better deal, Bentley turned them all into authorities, which essentially gave Kelsey a voice, even if it wasn't her own, to show the jury in the world what a calculated dipwad Frazee really was. November 18th, 2019, the jury would deliberate for less than four hours, which we all know the shorter they deliberate, the less good it is for the defense. Frazee would be found guilty on all counts. Kelsey would see justice such as it is after all. Frazee would eventually exhaust all his appeals. Crystal, for her part, only got three years, which she would not fully serve out. And the family of Kelsey Barrett had to find the strength to move forward in a life without their shining star. Cheryl would be awarded custody of little Kaylee, which would be the biggest blessing. It is a terrible thing to think about, but someday Kaylee will be told the truth about what happened to her mother and at whose hands. It will be an awful revelation for her to know that she was present when her mother was brutally beaten and murdered by her own father. But until that day, until those terrible words are uttered, Kaylee will be the enduring legacy of a woman taken from her loved ones and from the earth too soon. Well, that's it, folks. That's my solo case for this week in uh, an effort to um, give a voice to Kelsey, but also to demonstrate the incredible work that dogs can do. And sometimes that work is just being your best friend. In this case, it was to help solve the murder of Kelsey Barrett so that someday her daughter can take some peace, knowing that the person who perpetrated her mother's murder would be in jail for the rest of his life. Well, I hope that was okay without Charles. I hope you'll consider supporting us on Buzzsprout or on Patreon. Check out our Instagram at CowardsFury. Shoot me an email, cowardsfury at gmail.com. I will answer you. If you decide to support us, I'll give you a shout out on a future episode. Uh, Otherwise, I'll post all of my sources, which is lengthy in this case, um, on our show notes. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. Take care.